Namo myo ho renge kyo, namo myo ho renge kyo, namo myo ho renge kyo. <laughs> Hi friends. Thank you for being here. Thank you for your practice. I hope this finds you in good health and safe. We are continuing, and I think we'll be able to complete the Hoban chapter today. I think so. Very important chapter of the Lotus Sutra. In our uh, practice of abbreviated Gangyo, the Hoban chapter and the Juryo chapter are the key chapters. The Hoban being representative of the uh, provisional Lotus teaching, not the provisional teachings in their entirety, but as far as the Lotus goes, the provisional teachings are setting up the framework so to speak. <clears throat> as I've said before, and as we'll see again, the middle chapters uh, really nail down what is, sorry, mm. sorry about that, the actual essence of the really revolutionary teaching of the Lotus Sutra, not only revolutionary in all of teachings at the time, or even still today, really, really, I mean that, still very unique, if you understand the meaning. And the first part of understanding that is that Buddhism is not a religion. If it's treated as a religion, or if it's taught as a religion, then it ain't Buddhism. It's some traditional ritualistic fashion using uh, Buddhist teachings, but Buddhism, for the sole reason that Buddhism is about living this life to the full, this life, this moment. It's not about some afterlife, reincarnation, all of that is not Buddhism. I have written papers on it, it's on threefoldlotus.com, it's on the first page of threefoldlotus.com, this reincarnation myth. If you go to the core study page, it's right at the top of the page. Get it out of your mind. The reason it's in the writings is only because, first of all, the writings didn't start till hundreds of years after Shakyamuni was gone. And secondly, it was the pervasive, magical, mystical mind of India. And really, we owe a great debt to China, even though they have their own magical mysticism as well. But they took a much more pedantic, scholarly approach they saw the way Buddhism extended Taoism which is a much more validating of your environment and self than religions are Taoism isn't really a religion we know that but why do people call Buddhism a religion because they don't know it's ignorance and this being Mapo the latter the age of the law where even those who practice are degenerate because they use traditions and religious manipulations to teach something they call Buddhism but isn't. Always remember, Buddhism is about the mind, the way that we experience this life right now. How do we live this life to the full? Live this life well. That's the only preoccupation of Buddhism. 
Multiple lifetimes? Come on. That's ancient woo-woo. That's not Buddhism. It is the woo-woo of religion, though, because you can't prove or disprove woo-woo. You can just spread the rumor and everyone goes, oh, okay. It's just wind, sweetie. It's just... <laughs> we have a lot of wind today because we're supposed to get some storms here in a bit. So if you hear some, but that is the lovely Jewel, who is sounding a lot more gruff than she did when she was a smaller puppy. She's only what November, December, January. She's going to be four months old here real soon. Jewel, come on, it's okay. It's okay. It's just wind. I know. <laughs> I feel protected. <laughs> All right. So enough blah, blah, blah. Let's get right into it. We ended yes, uh, the, the last video with uh, a podcast with uh, an annotation from me. So we'll continue now. Knowing the supreme nirvana, though by reason of their tactful powers, they display various kinds of ways. Really, they are but the one Buddha vehicle. So again, all of these teachings prior to the Lotus Sutra, right? And the Lotus Sutra and the Nirvana Sutra, all of these teachings and the disparate ways in all of the stories and parables that the various bodhisattvas, the various Buddhas, right? All emanations of Shakyamuni. What does that mean, emanations of Shakyamuni? From his imagination, his storytelling, his parables, his skillful means, his tactfulness, teaching to people's capacity with terms familiar to them in order to expand their understanding. Right? All of that was about this one vehicle. All right. Knowing the conduct of all creatures, what they entertain in their deepest minds the karma they have developed in the past, their inclinations and zeal, talking about all of us, right? And their capacities, keen or dull, with various kinds of reasonings, parables, and narrations, as they could respond, so have they tactfully taught. Exactly what I just said, yeah? Now I, also in like manner, this is Shakyamuni speaking, knowing the natures and inclination of creatures, tactfully proclaim the laws which cause all to obtain gladness. That's a translation. I don't know what the original prakrit words or word that would term that was used, but I'm sure within the sphere of gladness was a more general concept of living a joyful life. That was always the goal. What the heck is going on? Mm, how rude. So sorry. No, Shariputra. Know this. I, observing with the Buddha's eyes, see the creatures in the six states of existence, the six lower realms, yes? Poor and without happiness and wisdom, in the dangerous path of mortality, in continuous, unending misery, firmly fettered by the five desires. Oh, those skandhas. 
We live to please our eyesight, our ears, our taste, our mouths, our sensations, our touch, right? He's not saying we shouldn't enjoy those things. He's saying we are attached to enjoying it. We are craving and constantly clinging to those things. That's what makes us suffer. Not the things themselves. The things themselves are empty. So what is it that we're grasping and clinging to? We must know fundamentally that everything is momentum, everything is moving. Otherwise, why would we be so desperate to hang on to things? Right? We use that, that um, rhetoric all the time. And there's the rain. <laughs> like the yak he's comparing us to caring for its tail smothered by greed and infatuation blinded and seeing nothing they seek not the Buddha the mighty and the, and the law to end all sufferings but deeply fall into heresies and seek by suffering to be rid of suffering there's no better description of religious activity than that. <laughs> we'll take a little pause here. And we're back. Whew, that was loud, yeah? Okay, sorry about that. But if you can't hear me, what's the point? <laughs> All right, so I was saying, they seek not the Buddha, the mighty, and the law to end all sufferings, but it deeply fall into heresies and seek by suffering to be rid of suffering. So these are people who have uh, either never, never awakened to the idea of full, complete enlightenment in this lifetime, or have been uh, arrogant in maintaining their ideas of uh, afterlife and reincarnation and so forth. And thinking that the only thing that could be achievable in this lifetime of Buddhist practice is uh, to achieve some some type of nirvana. In other words, some uh, dislodging, dis, dis, detachment of... Uh, what the heck is going on? I keep feeling like there's something in my teeth. There's nothing there. Oh, well. <sighs> there's always something, isn't there? Um... The idea that to be a perfect self is to be a self without um, cravings or clinging, all the while missing the most profound point that they're craving and clinging is this body. They don't see that. They're blind to it. That perfect, complete enlightenment is to see... Not only everything, but the self as a thing is a samsaric construct of the mind. That our true, if you will, self is a constant moving momentum of energy. It never is still. It never is. It, it is being. Right? Like the self is a verb. It's something under construction repeatedly, moment to moment to moment to moment to moment. It never exists as a static thing, as a 
compendium of characteristics. It has characteristics, but they're constantly shifting moment to moment to moment to moment. It's, it seems like a subtle distinction, but boy, is it profound. Hmm? And so this uh, provisional nirvana that... Uh, nar- uh, come on. Siddhartha, uh, Siddhartha, yeah. Shakyamuni taught for these three prior vessels of Sharvaka, Pratyagabuddha, even Bodhisattva, all based on this false nirvana, which he's going to blow apart, and he already has addressed it with Shariputra, hasn't he? That that was just a provisional goal, because the ardor of trying to figure out how the mind works, how it imposes itself on our experience of life, it was just, it was just quite frankly, difficult, obviously, for the people of his day to understand. This is why they kept pulling tradition and religious foolery into it because that was their their little you know Linus with the peanuts that was their little blanket thumb sucking blanket but that wasn't Buddhism but gosh if Shakyamuni spent all of his time focused on that he'd never get to teach Buddhism so he just went about teaching Buddhism and he gave them a provisional goal that they thought yes that is attainable to keep them engaged thinking that at some point they would aha hmm but that aha didn't come. So, the Lotus Sutra. Okay, we're going to nail this down now. No more fooling around, right? So that's why he says things like, they're not, seeking, they're not even seeking Buddha anymore. They're seeking this idea of nirvana they have. They're not seeking the mighty knowledge, the, the law to end all sufferings. But they deeply fall into heresies. In other words, beliefs of their own making based on traditions and right and they seek by suffering to be rid of suffering in other words just because you deprive yourself of something doesn't mean that you've detached yourself of it if you feel deprived then you are craving you haven't released yourself <laughs> It's quite a conundrum, isn't it? And so when he says they seek by suffering to rid, to be rid of suffering. Okay, in the eighties we would have said, "Duh." <laughs> all right, moving on. For the sake of all these creatures, my heart is stirred with great pity. Right, you can imagine Shakyamuni trying to teach them how to rid themselves of suffering and experience this life fully after over 40 years of teaching, still, oh, what can I do? Yeah. When I first sat on the wisdom throne, looking at that tree and walking about it during thrice seven days, I pondered such matters as these. How do I remember? We've heard several different points of view about these these moments under the Bodhi tree, where he he asked himself if he should even bother. You imagine that. Now that I see the truth, 
how I don't I don't know that I have the facility that the no the how do I reach all the innumerable minds out there to bring them to this realization I may cause more chaos and pain than I solve maybe I should keep it to myself remember The wisdom which I have obtained is wonderful and supreme, absolutely. But all creatures are dull in their capacities, pleasure attached and blind with ignorance. Totally led by, I was going to say, led by the nose, but in fact, we know from Vasubandhu, we're led by the nose, eyes, ears, tongue, flesh, yeah? <laughs> the the skandhas, yes? Such classes of beings as these I saw... How can they be saved? How, more to the point, how can I reach them? You know? Thereupon all the Brahma kings, the Lord Chakra of the universal realms of influence, the four heavenly beings who protect the worlds, also the influential great sovereign and all the other heavenly beings with hundreds of thousands of myriads of followers respectfully saluted with folded hands entreating me to roll the wheel of the law. They all say they want to be emancipated, reach this incredible Buddha state. But they don't know what they're asking. Will exposing them to the path to get there keep them engaged or scare them off? Hmm? Then I pondered within myself, he says. If I only extol the Buddha vehicle, the Myoho All creatures being sunk in suffering will not be able to accept this law. Oh, right, magic words. Yeah, like, that's going to do it. Mm, who is this guy? Mm? And by breaking the law through unbelief, they'll fall into the three deluded and malicious paths. Because now they'll have resentment and suspicion, right? And they'll hunger for something that they don't believe they can satiate, right? The world of hunger. So what to do? I have the answer, but if I give it to them, they'll just deride it and contrive against it. And hmm. I had rather not teach the law, but instantly enter nirvana. I'll just be an example. If you ever get to whatever I've reached, then... You can do this. Be gone. <laughs> wow. That would be a tough decision, yeah? Then, on remembering what former Buddhas performed by their tactful powers, I thought, the way which I have now attained, I must teach as the tripartite vehicle. In other words, looking back at his own journey to enlightenment, there are certain key realizations that he made along the way. So maybe I should teach the way that I came to this resolution, yeah? While I was pondering thus, all the Buddhas in the universe appeared and with profound voice cheered me in response. Now does that mean like hundreds of thousands of myriads of codas of Little fat guys came floating around his head like a Disney cartoon and said, Yay, yes, do that. <laughs> no. 
No. He's talking about the potential, the Tathagata, the, the universal engine of life that he discovered was echoing back to him. Yeah, that's the way. Right? You ever make a decision and think, the universe agrees with me. The world agrees with me. It doesn't matter what other people say. I feel right. Hmm? You ever feel that? Excellent, excellent, Shakyamuni, the first of leaders. Having attained this supreme law, thou art follow Thou, you. I think I already changed that. You are following after all the Buddhas in using tactful powers. We too have all attained this most wonderful supreme law, but for the sake of the many kinds of creatures, we divide and teach in three vehicles. Those of little wisdom delight in petty laws, not accepting that they can become Buddhas. Hence, we by tactful ways divide and teach the natural results. Though we also proclaim the three vehicles, it is only for teaching the bodhisattvas. No, Shariputra, hearing the voices of the reverend lions, the revered lions, profoundly clear and a priori, I saluted them, Nama Buddhas, and again reflected thus. Having come forth into the disturbed and deluded and malicious world, I, according to the Buddha's behest, will also obediently proceed. I set myself to task. Having finished pondering this matter, I instantly went to Varanasi. The nirvana nature of all existence, which is inexpressible, I, by my tactful ability, taught to the five bhikshus. Remember, historically, there were only five disciples of Shakyamuni before he was Shakyamuni, who was on his path to enlightenment, who stuck with him. Everybody else kind of splintered off, went their own way. But these last five, they adamantly stayed by his side, waiting, believing that he would achieve this never-before-achieved enlightenment. This is called the first rolling of the law wheel, whereupon... There was the news of nirvana and also the separate names of Buddha, of law, and of Sangha. Literally, uh, nirvana was uh, translated as nirvana sound or the voice of nirvana. That is, the term nirvana enlightenment was uttered. From distant kalpas onward, I have extolled the in, uh, and indicated the law of nirvana for the perpetual end of mortal distress. Mortal being samsaric, not saha. The saha world is the saha world, but it's the mental co conjuring, the samsaric version of experience of the saha world. 
That's the mortal world, yeah? Thus have I continuously spoken. No, Shariputra. When I saw the Buddha sons, bent on seeking the Buddha way, in countless thousands and myriads of kodas, all with reverent hearts, draw near to me, the Buddha. They had already heard from the Buddhas, the law which they tactfully explained. Then I convinced, I conceived this thought. The reason why the Tathagata appears is for teaching the Buddha wisdom. Now is the very time. No, Shariputra, the stupid and those of little wit, the tied to externals and the proud, cannot accept and understand this law. You wouldn't think Shakyamuni is so strict, yeah? Not from the traditions and stories we hear about this docile little man. No. He knew what he was talking about, and he wasn't exceptionally tolerant of foolishness, stupidity, right? Dull wit. He had compassion for them, and if they were able, if he was able to reach them at their, at their level, he would do so, but he didn't waste his time with people who couldn't be bothered. Some people don't want to be better than what often they are. Ugh, that's tragic, isn't it? But you, you can't teach somebody how to be better than they are if they resent every word that comes out of your mouth because you're saying that there is some state of being that is better than where they are. They don't want to hear it, right? But now I am glad and fearless, he says. In the midst of the bodhisattvas, frankly put aside tactfulness and only proclaim the supreme way. He's talking about now with this Lotus Sutra. I'm through screwing around. I'm not teaching those three lesser vehicles to appease the laziness in people, in my students, in my disciples, in bodhisattvas. No, no more. This has gone on too long without people coming to it for themselves. So now I'm going to lay it on the line. This is the way it works. This is how I did it. This is how anyone can do it. So stop with this other nonsense, yeah? You, bodhisattvas, hearing this law, having all got rid of the nets of doubt, you 1,200 arhats will all become Buddhas. Really? You better believe it. Now, some of them, no doubt, heard this and thought, yeah, in some other lifetime. No. So you see why he has to repeat and repeat and repeat. People are stubborn. In the same fashion that the Buddhas, past, present, and future, teach the law, so also will I now proclaim the undivided law. Not three, not two, one. Undivided. The appearing of Buddhas in the world is far apart. Um... I'm sorry, far apart and rare occurrence. And when they do appear in the world, with equal rareness do they proclaim this law. Even in infinite countless kalpas, rarely may this law be heard. And those who are able to listen to this law, men such as these, are also rare. So this is not saying, oh, you're so special because you're practicing Buddhism. 
No, it's giving you kudos for having a, a seeking mind, a mind that knows that there's more to life than samsara, mm. that the mind is far more expansive than the experience of the skandhas, pleasing our desires, right? There's more going on in the mind to be discovered than just eating, screwing, and, and getting out of the weather. Hmm? It is like the Andambara flower, which all love and enjoy, seldom seen by universal realms of influence in men, appearing but once in long periods. So he who, hearing the law, extols it joyfully and utters but one single word of it, has already paid homage to all the Buddhas in the three spheres, three worlds. Such a one is exceedingly rare, rarer than the Adambara flower. Be you free from doubts. I am the king of the law and declare to all the assembly, I, only by the one vehicle way, teach the bodhisattvas and have no Shravaka disciples. Know all of you, Shariputra, Shravakas, and Bodhisattvas, that this wonderful law is the mystery of all Buddhas, the unknown. I would, I'm going to change that to unknown. Again, I want to disabuse you of any rhetoric that's misleading, yeah? Because the deluded and malicious worlds of the five de uh, decadences, the skandhas, add that in there. Only delights in sensual attachments, senses, sensual, yes? Its creatures, such as these, never seek the Buddha way. They're too preoccupied having fun with stuff. The wicked in generations to come, who hear the one vehicle taught by the Buddha in their delusion and unbelief, will break the law and fall into deluded and malicious ways. They'll resent it. But there are beings, modest and pure, devoted to seeking the Buddha way. For such as these, I must widely extol the one vehicle way. No, Shariputra, the law of the Buddhas is thus. By myriads of codas of tactful ways, they proclaim the law as opportunity serves. But those who will not learn are not able to discern it. They resist. But you already know the expedient, tactful ways of the Buddhas, the leaders of the world, Shariputra, right? You're smart. You know this. Have no further doubts. Rejoice greatly in your hearts, knowing that you will become Buddhas. And thusly ends the second chapter, the Hoban chapter. So I say to you, remember those final words as you complete the Hoban chapter in Gangyo. Have no further doubts, my friends. 
Rejoice greatly in your hearts, knowing that you will become Buddhas. Namu Myoho Renge Kyo. I now invoke my Buddha Myoho Renge Kyo. All of it. Hmm? All right. So even with the rain and thunder and barking dog, <laughs> where are you? We completed the Hoban chapter. <laughs> uh, I hope you were able to get through all of that. And um, mostly, I, I want you to feel that your insights, all your insights are valid. Even if in a, a month from now, a year from now, two years from now, you review your insight and you go, oh, I understand that so much better now. I can't believe that's what I thought. It doesn't matter. Everything is a step along the way. What matters is consistency. Practice every day. Chant at least every day. Please do Gongyo. As you can see, it's incredibly profound and rife with examples to build insight, which is critical. If we don't spend any time building our insights, oh, I see how that works, right? If we don't experience those Renge moments, it becomes arduous and even a formality. I got to go chant for 20 minutes. Yeah, I'll be out in a minute. I got to take a shower and chant for 20 minutes. Okay, done with my chanting. Let's go. I mean, yeah, there's value to that. But, oh, man, I don't know about you, but I'm impatient. I want to feel Buddha. I want to know Buddha. I want to go through my day feeling like, man, this morning really, I'm, I'm, I'm feeling fortified today. I'm saying and hearing things differently because, man, this morning was a good gongyo. Wouldn't that be exciting? Wouldn't that be wonderful? This and more I wish for you. This practice is amazing, but it's only amazing if you really commit to it, yeah? So enjoy your practice. Make it all it can be. Which means take care of your health. Take care of yourself. <laughs> right? Don't forget all the links in the description. If you want to a bookstore... Mandala store, the free podcast. Go, use the website. There's so much information there. It's all free. And it's all about strengthening your practice, right? Comments, love to hear from you. I read them all. Or email me if you want to be more private about it, tlksylvain at gmail. I look forward to hearing from you. And I'll see you as we start Chapter 3. Apparently. See you then.